Thank you both uh, Jerry and Luke for the ministry this morning. Well, good morning. I hope all of you have enjoyed uh, last Monday, which was family day, and that you were able to spend some time with family and friends. Personally, it was actually quite enjoyable for me to go for a little drive on family day since the traffic was so minimal. But unfortunately for some, because of the nature of their jobs, they had to be at work and were not able to take advantage of that holiday with the rest of us. So we hope that provision will be made for you if you miss that day and have another day off to compensate for it. Nevertheless, here we are, and I trust that we are ready for the final sermon on the book of Genesis, Genesis 50. Verses 1 to 26. And as always, thank you once again, Luke, for reading this entire chapter for us. And uh, if you have your Bible still handy, would you turn with me, please, to Genesis 50, verses 1 to 26, which will serve as our main uh, text for this morning. But as always, let's turn to the word to the Lord in prayer first. Father. We are so thankful for the Word of God. For if we had not the Word of God, we would be lost and without hope. We would have no idea who God is or what He expects of us, where we came from and where we're headed to. And Father, we thank Thee that Thou hast promised to preserve Thy Word until the end of time. And so this book that we hold in our hands today is fully trustworthy. We have entrusted our souls, believing every word of it. And so today, Father, as we finish this lovely book of Genesis, we pray that the Spirit of God might be pleased to speak to each one of us and to relate to us what thy will is for each one of us and to give us a heart that will be willing to obey. For we ask it all in our Savior's name, and for his glory. Amen. In our previous message on Genesis 49, verses 1 to 33, we saw Jacob, now 147 years old, bestowing his final blessings upon each one of his 12 sons. And when he had finished blessing them all, he gave them a solemn charge, a dying request, so to speak, in verses 29 and 33. He instructed them to bury him with his people in the land of Canaan, for that, and not Egypt, was the land which God had promised to them. They were to bury him in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, verse 29, in the cave of Machpelah, just before Mamre. That was the burying ground which Abraham, his grandfather, had purchased. There, Abraham and Sarah were buried, as well as Isaac and Rebekah. That was also the place where Jacob buried his wife Leah. After Jacob clearly related his dying wish to his sons, the chapter ends with verse 33, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost 
and was gathered onto his people. Now we come to chapter 50, the final chapter in the book of Genesis, where we find Joseph mourning his father's death. We read in the opening verse of that chapter that Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept sore upon him and kissed him. Though Jacob's other sons were there also, the scriptures do not record for us their expression of grief. But the scriptures do record Joseph's tears and his tender expression of his love for his father for an important reason. Death will surely come to each one of us one day unless we be raptured. Grief is the inevitable fruit of losing a loved one. And the closer the relationship to the departed loved one, the greater will be the grief. And the greater the love that one experienced for the departed, then the deeper will be the wound for the loss of the loved one, and the longer the time of healing will be required. And though we see here how men of faith ought to express their grief, Unfortunately, society today has often made a mockery of mourning. Nowhere in scripture is levity and laughter a part of dying and burying loved ones. There is only one case recorded of celebration and rejoicing when someone has died. That is found in the book of the Revelation when the two witnesses are finally slain after their three and a half years of witnessing during the tribulation years. We should never be ashamed of showing our tears and our grief. Joseph, who is a picture of Christ and who held the highest position in Egypt next to Pharaoh himself, was not ashamed to weep openly for his father. King David never withheld his tears at the loss of his loved ones. The Lord Jesus Christ himself we are told in John eleven thirty six, wept when Lazarus died. More is learned about those who are left behind than about those who have gone on through the process of mourning. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel, verse 2. Not only was it the custom of Egyptians to embalm the body after death, but it was also necessary in this case because Jacob's body was to later be returned to the land of Canaan. It took 40 days to properly embalm the body so that every feature of the face might be properly preserved and to slow down the process of decay. Then another 30 days were devoted to mourning for Jacob by the Egyptians. And what a testimony this must have been to Israel as well as to Joseph himself. For I am certain that as long as Jacob lived in the land of Goshen among the heathen, he carried himself and his household with integrity and respect for the laws of the land so that the Egyptians not only did this for Joseph, but also for Jacob as well. It is very difficult to mourn a scoundrel, whereas a good man 
will truly be missed. And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten days. A total of seventy days were devoted to the mourning process for Jacob, a sign of deep respect for Joseph. And when the days of mourning were over, we are told that Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh in verse 4, but please notice the second part of that verse, for through it we understand that Joseph did not speak personally or ask personally Pharaoh for permission to go to bury his father Jacob in Canaan, but rather he sent a royal attendant to ask for him. He told the attendant to ask, if now I have found, fav found grace in your eyes, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, Now this is what the attendant was supposed to ask Pharaoh on behalf of Joseph in verse 5. My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. Joseph respectfully informs the Pharaoh through the royal attendant of the oath that Jacob had made Joseph swear. Genesis 47:31. you remember that. Thereby revealing the necessity of burying Jacob in Canaan. Now kings and rulers all understand the importance of an oath made. For without that sworn allegiance and loyalty to one's king, very little, if anything at all, could ever be accomplished. But a promise made at the bedside of a dying parent supersedes any and all royal decrees. And so Pharaoh graciously bids Joseph via his attendant to go up and bury thy father according as he made thee swear. Verse 6. Then in the next few verses, verses 7 to 9, we are given a glimpse of the incredibly huge funeral procession. It was indeed a king's funeral, for we are told that when Joseph went to bury his father, Jacob, all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house, joined the funeral procession. In all of Scripture, there has never been recorded a greater tribute paid to a departed saint than here to Jacob. Remember, please, that we read back in Genesis 43:32 that the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. But now, after 17 years in Egypt, these Hebrews of the household of Jacob grew in the grace and in the stature in the eyes of the Egyptians. Because God had set his favor upon Jacob and Joseph in particular, blessings from God flowed profusely upon Egypt because of their presence there. And so Jacob's departure now has caused a great sadness and a great void in Egypt. 
Then in verse 10, we see the funeral procession has arrived at the threshing floor of Atad, which we are told is beyond Jordan, where they made a mourning for his father yet another seven days. This huge royal procession, of course, caught the attention of the inhabitants of Canaan, who were astonished, and thus named the place Abel Mizarayim, loosely translated, Mourning of the Egyptians. And so the sons of Jacob carry out their father's request and bury Jacob in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham had bought for a burying place. Then in verse 14, And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. We are now left with two more interesting portions of scripture before we close the 50th chapter of Genesis. And the first of these is in verses 15 to 21. And that has to do with some unresolved issues relating back to Joseph being sold into slavery. While Jacob was still alive and the brothers reasonably assured that bygones are bygones, old doubts began to now resurface now that Jacob had passed away. And these doubts brought back the old fears of possible retribution. Even after all those years, the brothers were still not able to recognize the genuine kindness and goodness and forgiveness of their younger brother. They failed to accept the truthfulness of his promise that he was sent to Egypt in this manner by God himself so that he could be used of God to save them as well as Egypt and the other nations. There was such a severe famine in the land that if God had not done this, then there would not have been any that would have survived. They all would have perished. He had already personally assured him, them that he would nourish them and their children and their flocks back in Genesis 45. And had these brothers, Simeon, Levi, and Judah in particular, also been converted in their hearts, knowing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as intimately as Joseph had, then this would never have become an issue again. For we are told in Psalm 103, 10 to 12, He, that is God, hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so is great his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so hath he removed our transgressions from us. And so once again, they fear possible retribution and in the process now send a messenger to Joseph stating that their father Jacob commanded them to do so. Verse 16, that he, Joseph, forgive them their trespasses and sin. Here again, we have a picture of Christ 
in which the Father commands the sinner to repent of their sins and come to his Son for complete forgiveness. And so, responding to Jacob's final commandment to his sons to seek genuine reconciliation, the brothers humbly do so. And after the messenger relates his message, the brothers themselves personally also appear before Joseph in verse 17, begging, Forgive the trespass of thy servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Now Joseph wept because of sorrow that they still would suspect him of not having fully pardoned them for their sin. And these were also Joseph's tears of tenderness for his brethren's humility and submission in seeking his forgiveness, which he had already given them a long time ago. He then tells them in verse 19, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? And what did he mean by that? It was necessary for him to direct their pleas and their prayers to God, who ultimately is the only one who can forgive our sins, because after all, everyone who sins, sins against God, and therefore he alone can remove the sinner's guilt. Make your peace with God. And if you do so, then you will find it a very easy thing to make your peace with me as well. Joseph once again reassures them that he will continue to care for them and to do good to them and not to do evil. And finally, we come to that last portion of scripture in this chapter, which deals with Joseph's death and burial, verses 22 to 26. We are told that Joseph and his father's household continued to live in Egypt and that Joseph lived long enough to see Ephraim and Manasseh's grandchildren and that it was an intimate relationship between grandfather and grandchildren, verse 23. And when his time came to depart from this world, he took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now notice, please, Joseph was not buried, but placed in a coffin, which some 400 years later would be carried into the land of Canaan and buried there. For we read later on in the book of Joshua in chapter 24, verse 32, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And so we come to the end of our sermon for this morning, and also to the end of our study of this marvelous book of Genesis. And I trust that these studies have not only been informative, 
and encouraging to you as they have been to me, but that they have also strengthened our faith in the word of God, that though it may take a long time to see God's promises fulfilled, they will all nevertheless be fulfilled and be fulfilled exactly the way he said they would. But now, as always, before I step down from this platform, I need to ask you this. Where does Christ fit in your life? Is he your Savior and Lord? Or is he someone whom you have as a backup to call upon for help when things don't go well? Well, I trust that everyone here has come to genuine faith in our blessed Savior and is truly born again of the Spirit of God. For we are constantly reminded that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. Ye must be born again. Nearly the entire book of Genesis, starting with chapter 12, right through to chapter 50, was about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how God made a covenant with them and the people of Israel that would come from their seed. And the most important thing that we need to learn about this book was that the Old Testament saints got saved in the very same manner as they got saved in the New Testament, by grace, through faith alone. They believed God and he imputed it unto them for righteousness. There were no churches, no Catholic church, no Mormon church, no Jehovah's Witness Watchtower, no United Church, no churches of any kind, because belonging to a church does not save anyone. Doing good works does not save anyone. Reading the Bible and memorizing verses so that we can impress the unlearned doesn't save anyone. So many today in the churches that don't preach the only way of salvation are headed to hell. Many of us here have unsaved family members and friends who are Catholics or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or belong to a mainline church and who don't even know how to get saved, who have never heard of the true gospel of salvation. It grieves our soul to know that there is no hope for them as long as they remain in those dead churches. And yet so many of us here have tried to witness to them, but they have scoffed and rejected the Christ of the Bible. So what else can we do? We must continue to pray for them without giving up, even if it seems hopeless, because with God, nothing is impossible. But if we are to ever win them for Christ, then we must first be certain and foremost that we ourselves are genuinely saved. Otherwise, we will have no concern for the souls of the lost. So I ask you again, where does Christ fit in your life? Is he and he alone your Savior and your Lord? And if not, won't you repent of your sins while there is still yet time and turn to him and him alone 
for total forgiveness of all your sins, and he will grant you eternal life. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our salvation is finished. No one can undo it. No one can add to it. We either are in Christ today, or we are headed for a lost eternity in a place called hell. I trust we have all made the right decision. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this precious book, the book of Genesis. We have all been blessed by reading it and studying it. And in many cases, our eyes have been opened to things that we may have missed or overlooked in our previous readings. But above all, Father, we thank thee that thy word is sure, that not one jot nor tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Father, we ask thee now to part us with thy blessing, keep us from sin and evil, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us around his table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Oh.